This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hi, I'm Jay Harwood from the New York Mets. Welcome to our Mets alumni podcast. Mr. Hook, the Mets have won uh, over 4,000 games in their, in their franchise history. You won the first game. It's been a lot of years. You st- past. You still can't recognize that. Does people still remember what you did? Jay, it's it's really, really interesting. I probably still get 10 letters a month from people wanting an autograph on a baseball card or wanting to ask me a question or something. And, you know, I can't believe how many years ago was that now? That's, that's got to be, what, 55 years yeah, yeah. ago? Yeah, it's, it's a long time. I was just passing my bar mitzvah stage at that time. Uh, Jay, Jay, let me take it back. April 23rd, 1962, the Mets had lost nine games in a row. Casey gives you the ball in Forbes Field against the Pirates. Uh, you know, Tom Sturdivant, the old Yankee, was, was pitching. The, they had uh, Clemente in the lineup. I guess people forget, too, that the Pirates had won the first nine games in a row. I mean, go into, that game, into that game. What did you think your chances were? Well, you know, I had it was my second start of the year of the that season, and I had started a game uh, at at the Polo Grounds, I guess. Um, I think it was must have been against Houston or someone, and I pitched like seven innings or something, and I I was leading when they took me out, <laughs> but but then they, we gave up some runs in the last inning or so. And so, you know, I didn't lose the game, but I, but it was a loss to the Mets. And, and so I, you know, I was, I always felt Jay, uh, you know, and even through the year, I, 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 one of the neat things about baseball is it's a new game every day. And, and I, I really thought with the kind of guys we had on that team, you know, the Richie Ashburns and the Charlie Neals and the, all the, the, you know, the guys that really were good players. And, and I just thought this can't go on, you know, and whether I didn't know whether it'd be me or someone else, but, but I knew that one of these days we were going to win the game. I, you know, Jay, the results couldn't have been better. Complete game, five hits, a run, uh, a walk and two strikeouts. And he even chipped in with the bat. He got a hit, scored two runs and had uh, two RBI. So the evening couldn't have worked out better. I know, <laughs> you know, but, and, and that was something that, you know, I, I used to focus on Jay, it, you know, I thought if, if, um, you know, if I didn't get taken out for a pinch hitter, uh, you know, I had a better chance of, of having a complete game. And in, in spring training, I used to work with Rogers Hornsby after the, after the practice, I'd ask him to go in the batting cage with me and help me with my hitting. And I was a decent hitter, but, but, but it was, you know, I figured I had to contribute, you know, so that the batting was as, as I, I was as proud of that as I was the pitching. <laughs> I, I look back at the box where Jay and the Mets were ahead six, nothing after two innings. When we went to the mound in the third inning, we were starting to think that 
this could maybe be the night. Yeah, you know, you know, though it's funny, Jay. I, you know, that has been a been a big part of my life. You know, now winning that first game, but but at that point, I I wasn't thinking that this is the first Mets win. I was just thinking this is a ball game we got to win. Right. And and you know it it it's become much more I, you know but but at that time I guess I wasn't thinking this is a part of history or anything else I I wasn't thinking that you know yeah. I was thinking we just got to win a game yeah Chris, Jay you had told me the story I hope I got it corrected after the game you know Casey basically said to you take as long as you want for the interviews and enjoy it. And when you got done, there was, there was no shower water. You had to take a bath in the, in the whirlpool. Is that basically correct? What happened? Yeah, that's, that's correct. And, and, you know, it's funny because I think probably some of the guys were getting uh, upset because they, they, he held the bus. He had to, he got the traveling secretary to hold the plane. And, and because I, you know, I, the writers were, of course, you know how many write, how many papers there were back then. Yeah, a lot. More than they are now, yeah. You know, and there were a lot of a lot of the, the sports guys that were with us. And and um, so, you know, I mean, I we sat there for quite a while, uh, them asking me questions about the game and all that sort of thing. But, um, and that's exactly what happened. I, I, I went to take a, sh- take, a bath, take a shower and it was cold. And so I jumped in the whirlpool. Well, I mean, <laughs> somebody said that Casey told the writers, I don't know if you remember seeing it, that you know, I'm going to have a hook start the next 99 games, keep the streak he going. He did say that, yeah. Yeah, yeah he did say that. <laughs> so, what was it like to, to play for Casey? You know, there's like, hear these stories he, with the he, Stangleys and the other people say he was a great baseball guy. How did he interact with, uh, with you and the other guys on the team? Well, you know, I I really thought a lot of Casey because you know when you think about about how Casey got to the Mets and you know he'd been a really successful manager with the Yankees for what ten years or something like right. that, right. and and uh, you know he'd won a bunch of World Series and he'd won a bunch of pennants and so I I had a lot of respect for him and and his coaching staff he had he had picked some guys that were you know pretty pretty successful baseball guys. Um, so the coaching staff was good, but, but the thing I've, I've often said, Jay is, uh, you know, people would ask me later when I got into different roles in my life in business or in academia or wherever, you know, uh, you know, they'd say, well, as base, did your baseball career contribute anything to your, you know, future life? And I said, well, yeah, one thing, Casey, that I learned is that you really got to take care of your customer, you know, and here I was in business and, and you got to make sure that you're doing the best job you can for that customer. Well, you know, if you think about Casey, I I really learned that from Casey because after a game, no matter win, lose or draw, and we lost a lot, uh, Casey would call all those writers into his office and he'd get them a beer or a Coke or whatever they wanted. And they would sit there as long as they wanted to with him. And he would tell them stories. And he, you know, he made the, the, the sports writer's job a lot easier because he always gave them something to write about. And, and when you think about who the customer was, the customer were the people paying to, to come to the park. 
and and the people that were watching on television and and how do you get how did you get to those people uh you know to make them more interested in what was happening it was through those sports writers yeah he got it you know he he got it this is for sure and he he knew how to how to interact with them and really make their life easier and you know when you jay i'm sure you know all those writers and and i mean that are still alive let's say but but you know they they loved that that episode of their life i think so because you, they like Casey. Do you think he uh, helped deflect some of the stuff from the players by being kind of funnel for everything? You know, I mean, he took some of the criticism away from the players and he regales them with the stories. And that was a big part of what he tried to do. Right, right. And and he was very successful at it. And, you know, Stengelese, I, I tried to analyze Stengelese later in my life. And, and Stengelese was, I mean, he was a very, Casey was a very quick-witted guy. And he would be talking on one subject and he would, he'd be thinking about the next subject he was going to talk about. And he jumped to that subject and then he'd remember he didn't finish the last subject and he jumped back to it. And, and so he had two or three uh, thoughts going on at one time yeah. and, and you had to pay close attention to make sure you knew where he was. I hear you. I still do that today, uh, Jay. So, well, <laughs> Jay, not to bring up, you know, you, you pitched a lot, and put you close to the club, the you know, you were uh, lost a lot of games, 19 the first year, 14 the second year. How tough it was it for you to come to the park, you know, with the constant losing that was unfortunately took place in those early years? You know, you know, a funny thing, Jay, was, and I said this to a few people, um, pitching and pitching for a team like the Mets in New York, they, you know, there was a lot of televised games and the radio, et cetera. And, and it, the, the thing that was, that was really different there than it was in Cincinnati was, you know, I'd go to the barber shop and the barber knew everything about how I pitched yesterday. And he'd say, well, how come you threw that pitch to, you know, yeah. Hank Aaron or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> so people out in the community knew more, you know, probably followed it more than, than a yeah. lot of situations now. But but it was it you know, I I guess I was happy to be there and you know, we didn't make a lot of money then. So it was you know, I just watched an old movie for love of the game. And, and you know, I think it was like that. I mean, the guys that were coming out there loved to play baseball. And and they weren't playing for the money necessarily. Uh, you know, at least, I mean, that sure, they made enough to live on, but, but it wasn't like, like it is today where they're making millions of dollars. And, and you know, that, that can be an end in itself rather than just the game. But yeah. I'm sure that they love the game, just like we did. Yeah. Jay, you alluded before that, you know, the guys you had on a team, Frank Thomas, Gil Hodges, Charlie Neal, Gus Bell, Richie Ashburn. When you got to spring training that year in St. Petersburg, did you, did you really think it would be 40 and 120 at the end of the no, year? No, I didn't. I didn't. I really didn't. I, I thought, you know, I thought, because I came from the Cincinnati Reds who had just, you know, won the pennant. They didn't win the World Series, but they won the pennant. And and I looked at some of the guys on the, the that had gone to the Mets, and yeah, they were a little older. But but I thought 
I thought there was some decent talent there. I I never expected it to be that bad. Yeah. Hey, what was it like playing in the old polo grounds? I mean, was it a, I mean, a distinct ballpark like with Ebbets Field? Was it, what was it like pitching there? <laughs> well, it was it, it was great as far as left center, center, and right center went. On the left field line and the right field line, it was horrible. <laughs> was it like two fifty seven or something like that? It was it was it was a very short distance it, down there, right? They were they were very short down both lines. In fact, I tell you a funny story. With Pete Rose, I couldn't have been the first; must have been the second or third year I was with the Mets, but. But I was pitching against the Cincinnati Reds. The first pitch of the game, Pete Rose hit an opposite field home run right down the line. And the first pitch of the game, we went through the whole game. I lost the game one to nothing. On the wow. first pitch, <laughs> that's 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 not good. I mean, but okay, how many how many of the uh, the sixty two teammates they they keep in contact with? I think there's like nineteen or twenty of them are still alive, and uh, you keep in contact with some of them. No, we really don't. We really don't. You know the I've I've you know and, and I think you know this because I may have asked you a question about them before, but but we really thought the world of Al Jackson and Nadine Jackson. Um, and, and, uh, you know, I know he's not doing well yeah. right now. Uh, I think he's in a nursing home or something, but, but we were, we, we knew them fairly well. Uh, but we really, really don't, I, I don't think we stay in touch with anybody. We used to send Christmas cards once in a while, but. But I, I don't even know that we get any Christmas cards anymore. Well, yeah, what's what we're trying to do here, Jay, with this new alumni thing is to develop a newsletter. Hopefully we could maybe bridge the gap to let the guys know who's doing what and we can get in touch. And that's one of the things we hope to accomplish with this reach out to the alumni. So maybe we could do some good there. Hey, before we, That'd be good. Before we continue, you know, a lot of people don't your, – your first game – with the Reds, it was in 1957. You were like, you were assigned a contract, and he had to put you in the major leagues. So you really skipped the minor leagues at first, right? You went to Cincinnati for three games in uh, in, in in September 1957. It was kind of a different setup then than it is now. Yeah, right. And you know, it was. I I actually that that summer I was I was in in college, and I was p- pitching for. Uh, for a liquor distributorship in Milwaukee. And I, I was doing engineering and I worked during the day at an engineering company. And then I would play ball at night for this, the, the, actually the, it was the father of the catcher at Northwestern, but he owned this liquor distributorship in Milwaukee. And, and he was, he was like a, a second father to me and he would call scouts and, and get them to come watch me pitch and things like that. Well, the Reds contacted me and, and asked me to come out to County stadium to work out with them. Like the middle of August, maybe it was, or the third week in August. And, and, um, I did. And they asked me to fly back to Cincinnati with them that night. And I did that and, and to throw batting practice to their regulars the next day in the afternoon. So I did that. Then they asked me if my father would come down cause I was too young to sign a contract. And, um, cause I wasn't 21 yet. And, and my father came down and they talked, talked to us about a bonus and things like that. And, and we signed, we agreed to a bonus and then they came up a week later or something to, to my hometown. Um, and we signed this contract. So I, I had to go right in the major leagues. 
So here I was pitching sandlot ball in Milwaukee during the summer of 1957. And in September, I was on the 40-man the roster of the Cincinnati Reds. Yeah, they couldn't they have, had, that's they crazy. Their roster. That's crazy. Yeah. And the last, you'd like this story, Jake. The Bertie Tebbets was our manager then. And I had pitched oh, a little bit of relief. I think I pitched once or twice in relief during the month of September. And the last game of the season was against the Braves in Milwaukee at County Stadium. Wow. And, and Bertie said, Hook, you're, pit, you're starting. And I started that game, and they had, they had clinched the pen at the time. You know, they had Aaron and all these guys on that team, a terrific team. And, and so I started this game in Milwaukee, you know, when I was 20 years old. And, and I pitched the first, I think, five innings. And I came off the mound at the end of the fifth inning, and Bertie Tibbetts said, Kid, you're too young to pitch a no hitter. I'm taking you out of the game. Wow, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. That's crazy. And of course, of course, it was. You know, he wanted to look at some other guys. Yeah. I mean, you know, so it wasn't a big, big thing. But, <laughs> but the, the the thing that was interesting was here were the guys that I'd been playing with that summer. They all came out to the game that night, and the people I'd worked with in in Milwaukee and. And and it was it was a fun thing, you yeah. know. That's great. Hey, Craig, you're looking over your career. I mean, you're more than just baseball in your career. You got uh, your degree in mechanical engineering from Northwestern. You got to work towards your master's. Uh, you were a member of the American Rocket Society, and you wrote an article for a hydro. I can't pronounce the word hydromechanical magazine <laughs> on the theory of the curveball. When did you fly? And you got when did you fly time to do all this while you were playing? When did you get your degree from Northwestern after you started playing, or, or you know what was the time sequence? I, I I had completed I think three years of college when I signed to play pro ball, and. But then I, each winter, I, I actually put in my contract when I originally signed that I could report a little bit late for spring training for two years so that I could finish my undergraduate degree, and which I did. And then I started a graduate degree. And I, each winter, I'd go back to Northwestern and, and take more classes toward a master's degree in engineering, which I didn't complete. But, but then I actually even started a Ph.D., uh, you know, in, in that, but, uh, cause I was just taking classes toward it. When I got out of, when I got out of baseball, then I went to work for Chrysler cause I was interested in souping up cars and making them go fast and stuff like that. Did you, did you take a lot of kidding Jay with your background? You should have run a lot of people in the club, any club at that time was, you know, majoring in mechanical engineering and, and, and did the guys kid you at all about the books you used to maybe bring to the locker room? No, not much, but I, but uh, if you heard the story of Marv Throneberry, how no. he got the name Marv, you know, Marvelous Marv. No, no, sir. He, he, one day he came to me and he said, hook, he said, you're an engineer, aren't you? And I said, yeah. He said, well, engineers can print real good, can't they? <laughs> and I said, well, yeah, I've taken, I've taken some drafting classes and he took the, the card from above his locker and he, he flipped it over and it was plain on the other side and he got a pen or a marking pen or something. And he, he said, write marvelous Marv on this, will you print that? And, and I said, okay. So I printed marvelous Marv on, on the, his, 
this thing about, and he slid it back into the groove above his locker. And that, that, that day he got a home run or something in the late innings and all the writers came in and they're talking to him in front of his locker. And they, they see this sign that says marvelous Marv. And from then on, you know, I think the headlines probably that day were marvelous Marv wins game or, or hits home run or something. And from then on, he was called marvelous Marv. <laughs> Jay, do you still follow Northwestern sports at all? I know the football team is pretty good, you know, and do you still follow them at all? Or Yeah, I, I watch the games. And, you know, that the, the, uh, they've, had, they've had a really good year in football. And Pat Fitzgerald is, is just a terrific coach. Um, you know, he he's, was a guy that went to school there, and I think he was a football player and a wrestler or something, but – but he's done a great job and their basketball team has been pretty good. Yeah. I, I just, you know, up where I, I live on a farm in Northern Michigan. So, you know, I, we don't get to any of those events, but, but I watch them on television. Jay, Jay, you're still active though. I know you work at your vice chairman, the board of directors of a medical center close by your hometown. So you still, you know, trying to keep active doing some stuff. Yeah, I, I have Jay. I, 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 worked for several different corporations and, and was fortunate enough to do fairly well. And, and then I, I retired early, I guess in my early fifties and they asked me to come back to Northwestern and I became an, a, like a, like a visiting professor at Northwestern. And I chaired a, an MBA program in manufacturing management and that we started in the early nineties. And then I've done things. I've been chairman of the board of a seminary, which was on the Northwestern campus. And I've been chair of a foundation for, for a college here in Traverse City. And now I'm just starting a role, or I will be starting a role as chair of the board of uh, the medical center here in, in Traverse City. Yeah, good so, you know, I try to do things that like yeah, where you couldn't be serving, you know. Well, good for you. Hey, listen, you had a great, varied career, Jay Hook. You've been a good friend for a lot of years, and I appreciate you just spending some time with us. Hey, thanks, Jay, and it's good to talk to you. I'm glad that you're staying active. I'm there trying. Was a I'm trying, Jay. Thank you, my friend. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro.